It is the 30th of September, 1705. The New England Woods calls to you. Your body has become more wooden. Every day it's harder and harder to move. It was never intended to be this way. You had wanted this gift. The power was tempting. You hardly hesitated before agreeing to the deal. You wonder, if you knew there was a curse that came with this gift, would you have accepted? You hope that you wouldn't have taken it. However, a voice at the back of your brain tells you that you would have. The hesitation was only for show. You knew that the witches would not be fair, but if what they said about this power was true, it was worth taking the risk. You had immeasurable power, but now you feel it's all for naught. On the shores of New England, your body tears into the ground, setting roots deep into the earth. Your arms stretch up towards the sky. Your body is ripped asunder as it twists up towards heaven and bears deep down to hell. You finally become what you have controlled for these past 13 years. You watch as your children and wife find you. You aren't one of them anymore. Where you once stood now stands a massive tree. They look on in horror. You know one day they will meet similar fates. You watch silently as time passes. Your children establish themselves. Your family is one of the most powerful ones in the new world. Your family grows fast, though their lives are short. As your roots expand underneath the ground, your branches are sawed away. The wood is harvested. Now you not only mark the hallowed ground of the Workwood Manor, you have become the manor. For centuries, you watch your family grow. You hold them up. They step on you. Your children learn to walk on your floors and then are subsequently used to adorn your walls. You watch silently, unable to do anything. Our story begins in 1972. Virgil, Gail, Penny, and JC, you wake up from your dream. What do you do? I think uh, Virgil will sit up in his bed and kind of swing his legs over to the side, kind of rubbing his head slightly. He recognizes the story and just silently to himself is wondering if his dreams bringing that to the forefront of his mind isn't an omen of some sort. But regardless, he gets up and gets ready and starts his day and works his way over to uh, his workbench in his workshop, which is now expanded to fill most of the uppermost level of the Rookwood Manor, where he's working on um, a simple, uh, like Tesla coil like uh, instrument um, as well, uh, working on that on the workbench. And you can see all kinds of uh, different electrical uh, instruments and gadgets and everything just filling every available space in this room. And he decides to lose himself in his work this morning, kind of putting the shivering down his spine that the dream has caused out of mind. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Virgil is uh, out of all of the Rookwoods, the most familiar with that story. Um, I'm sure that he's heard it a great deal growing up. Um, Gail and Penny, what do you two do as you wake up from this dream? Gail gives out a like a defeated sigh and rolls over to look at her her dear husband, Alistair, if he is still in bed. 
I'll leave that up to you, Alistair. Are you still in bed or have you gotten up before your wife? Uh, he has most likely risen uh, before Gail. He likes to get up in the morning and uh, get some work in before the rest of the family has um, gotten up. Then Gail, with a defeated look on her face, uh, wills herself out of bed and <laughs> gets prepared for to fit, work on the upkeep of the house for the rest of the day. Awesome. Penny, what are you up to? Penny would have woken up um, a little bit disturbed by that dream, but she would have shaken it off, um, prepared herself for the day, and before going into the kitchen to grab a cup of coffee, or rather, after going into the kitchen to grab a cup of coffee, she would have had up to the, is it called a rookery? the rookery uh to visit and feed her many black feathered friends that are up there i i looked this up actually because i was also not sure if it was called a rookery um a rookery is a group of birds and a coop is a bird house basically for a bunch of birds i thought there was another name for it but i can't think of it but the owlery yeah the owler uh you have uh, uh crows and ravens right Yes. Yeah. Um, probably more crows than ravens, but yeah. uh, yes, the black feathered friends. Yes, your little your little black feathered friends. But before entering that, she would have um gone through the list of names that are carved on the side, um, mm-hmm. landing on the last one, her father's, and taking a moment to reflect on that before going inside and starting to feed and set out fresh water. Yeah, I'm sure that you've heard the stories uh, plenty of times that your father told you um, having the same gift and curse that you have, that uh, those who have this particular curse, the curse of the rookery, uh, they will one day be eaten by the birds that they love so much and their names to honor them will go on the side of the coop along with all the other names. And one day... Your name, being the only one in this family with the curse at this time, will likely go under your father's. So question for Gail. Have you ever told JC about uh, the progenitor of of this curse, uh, Elias Rookwood? No, no, he wouldn't. He, he wouldn't have heard about it from Gail. OK, he probably would. He, no, he probably would have heard it from Virgil. Okay, so, so he's yeah. aware of this from, from Virgil, who uh, who wants very badly to keep the family history alive. I like that. Okay. Right. Um, Gail is so, very unhappy about it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, JC wakes up, probably familiar with what uh, that dream was referring to, you know. I don't know. Maybe sometimes you have dreams about Uncle Virgil's weird stories about the family. Uh, what do you do? Seventeen's an awkward age to have dreams, so it's probably... A slew of weird ones, and that's just another one to add. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, as far as, uh, you know, the dreams of 17-year-old boys in the 1970s go, that was probably not the weirdest one you've ever had. You know, school and and everything. Changes with your body, you know. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) Uh, Realistically, after after that... uh, Given how he's probably pretty used to how his mom acts to uh, reacts to anything involving the the family legacy, uh, probably just gonna like casually go to uh to where the where the family room is and find if there's like a portrait or whatever of of the progenitor and just sort of look at it for a while, 
Uh, Virgil, have you told JC about what happens to various members of the family? Like, is he aware about um, what the statues really are and such? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, because like Virgil, Virgil is very much in that family tradition where it's like, you know, we as a family are cursed. We get these curses. And uh, if we use their curses the way they're supposed to be intended, that curse is going to consume us. Like, that is the way it is. It is the way. Um, <laughs> and it's how it should be. So uh, you're aware that this is uh, Elias when he was a young monster hunter in England. Uh, he, when he came over to the New World, his appearance was vastly altered. Um, you are also aware, as you look upon the portrait, that the wood framing around it is Elias. He, you know, when he succumbed to his curse, he had turned into a massive tree, a tree whose stumps still is on the grounds of your manor. Um, you've probably, you know, sat on it, you know, when you were playing as a child. Uh, even the wood floors of this room were part of this massive tree that grew from the ground when uh, Elias, you know, became his curse. And I, I imagine that a majority of the uh, the family members who have succumbed to their curses are here, uh, specifically for the curse that JC has, uh, which is mirrors and sort of fading from reality. Are there any mirrors in this room that are just like unlabeled or is there just nothing in here that would indicate that anyone has had the curse he has before? Uh, no. So, uh, everyone has various, uh, various memorials to them uh, throughout this. So you have um, on shelves, you have urns and jars of fog uh, that have different names on them. Um, yeah. Along one wall, you do have uh, a couple columns of mirrors that all are inscribed with the names of different family members. And there is one that is in fact not inscribed with a name yet. Hmm. He probably just like looks at it for a, for a long time uh, and wonders if like, the fact that it doesn't have a name means it's for him or if it's uh or if it's just there for some forgotten family member having having a little bit of an existential crisis and you know first thing in the morning that's okay <laughs> like you do <laughs> yeah uh so is that what he's up to for now yeah probably probably spends a, a good amount of time in there before uh i guess just coming out of whatever weird sort of stupor he's in and getting ready for uh whatever a friendless teenager does on a weekend oh hangs out with his mom uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like a good boy <laughs> um okay so let's go to um alistair alistair what are you up to oh uh this morning i decided to uh go type on uh my typewriter um, to jot down some quick notes and perhaps work on uh, the newest chapter of my uh, prospective book. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about what specifically you've been writing about or if you've made a recent um, break in your research or anything like that? Certainly. Um, lately, I have uh, especially been studying uh, Jeremy, or JC as he likes to go by, and his rather uh, moody uh, outbursts towards his mother. Um, <laughs> I haven't made exactly any major headway, but I'm uh, hopeful that he sort of uh, calms it down a bit, if it were, 
Um, okay. I've been attempting to slyly uh, provide some uh, psychological guidance to mm. alleviate his inner hatred of his mother. I, I would hate to see her fall completely off the deep end and uh, make some of my research for naught. Right. Okay. It's all about the research, though. <laughs> yes, that, that is what uh, doctors uh, do, is research. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do other members of the family tend to disturb you when you're working, or do they pretty much leave you alone? And I'll leave that up to uh, the other members of the family. Hey, um, Fiona, real quick, and we can cut this out, but I wanted to just a quick clarification of like the lore. Okay. So uh, when Annie was doing her section, she mentioned her father, mm -hmm. uh, which would have been my brother, right? Yes. And she said he was Curse of the Rookery as well? Um, what I sent you is correct. Okay. Ooh. Oh, man. Yes. Oh. I, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I, I did not change anything. Okay. All right. Carry on. Yeah. No, uh, I, I was anticipating that question. Um, I'm sure you have lots of questions. <laughs> I, 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 will, now. I will carry on. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, anyway, in regards to bugging Alistair, uh, Gail probably checks on him two or three times each session he has to make sure that he's got coffee or tea or if he needs food or if there's anything she can do for him. Because mm -hmm. she loves him so much. And yeah. <laughs> Alistair is rather appreciative of that and will not think much of it. Aw, that's nice. But you definitely took tea. Oh, absolutely. Earl Grey. Perfect. <laughs> Earl Grey hot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I don't actually think uh, Virgil uh, gives a shit about what Alistair is doing in his own personal time. Uh, and definitely not enough to go out of his way to disturb him. Um, I think Virgil is more, far more concerned with his own matters in his workshop above. Although right. I would imagine that Alistair would occasionally hear the sounds of like maybe a turbine whirring up or uh, electricity arcing or uh, other strange sounds coming from above. Right. I try not to think too much on the mad science that is occurring above there, above my level of the house. <laughs> Penny uh, would have heard whispers from her friends that Alistair, either the night before or this morning, has been seeming to be typing a lot and talking a lot into some weird kind of device, but... It's too early to really care about that. She might mm -hmm. need another couple of cups of coffee before she confronts him about anything or even bothers to ask him a question about what he's working on. Right. She's more interested to know what JC's doing in the family room. Talking to a weird device, it's the 70s. It's uh, it, This is a tape recorder. <laughs> no, it's not. It is a dictation device. <laughs> we Mind looked you. it up. I did a lot of research for this. Okay. Yeah, Nichols. Yeah, My a weird mistake. device. <laughs> I was trying to make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> That'll teach <Boy>. you. <laughs> Penny has been talking about getting another cup of coffee. And what was Gail doing? Uh, she's going to start cleaning the house, making sure everything's nice and tidy. Okay. Of course you are. 
Yeah. Of course you are. So, um... The house needs to be maintained. What would father say? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Gail is going around tidying right as Penny is making her way to the kitchen to get a cup of coffee. Um... So Penny is in there, you know, making her coffee, doing her thing, and Gail walks in. Eight-year-old Penny, in her attempts to get some Oreos, has knocked the whole glass cookie jar all onto the floor and is shattered everywhere. It is dirty, it is messy, and Father is coming home soon. Gail, you are ten years old. What do you do? Gail is furious. (laughs) Uh, She immediately while berating Penny, grabs whatever she can to start cleaning stuff up. Why are you like this? Why can't you just behave? I just wanted a cookie. That's all I wanted. And I started to cry. You wanted it so bad you threw them all on the ground? Well, I didn't mean to, but you wouldn't get me one. Because you're not allowed to have any. But I wanted one. Well, it's not always about what you want, Penny, now is it? Dad would have given me one. Well, Dad's not here right now, is he? <laughs> He's going to be. Maybe he'll give me one. Well, they can't have any now that they're all over the floor, can you? I just cry harder. <laughs> <laughs> Penny, as you're crying, it strikes you that you are in your 30s. There are no <laughs> cookies on the floor. But I'm and still you were, crying. Yeah, you're still crying. Gail, you are also in your 30s, and this is just your sister getting a cup of coffee. What are you crying about? You remember everything that happened to Gail, just to clarify. Okay. I don't meet her eyes, and I try to swipe at the mascara that's probably underneath making raccoon bags. You know, if you didn't wear that, you wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah, well, it makes me look better, so... For who? My husband? Well, maybe if you tried a little bit, he'd pay you some attention. He's doing much more important work right now. Oh, yeah. Typing and talking. Very important. It's better than talking to birds. At least I have somebody to talk to. You always did need someone to talk to. But that's just like you, (laughs) always running your mouth. Better than running around trying to clean up after people who don't even care. The house needs tended, too. You could hire somebody. It'd probably look better to all your socialite friends. So what, they can come in and ruin everything our family stands for? Honestly, Gail, it's too early for this. Just make Alistair another cup of tea so he won't even thank you and be on your way. You're right. I will. At least someone will appreciate everything I do for them. Probably not. And then Gail just kind of harumphs and makes her tea for (laughs) Alistair. (laughs) And Penny walks away with her second cup of coffee this morning. Sisterly love. (laughs) (laughs) At its finest. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so Gail makes a cup of tea with relative ease and uh, drops it off to Alistair. Um, Gail, do you ever visit your father? Um, do you ever, like, try to go see him? Uh, yeah, probably weekly I go in and make sure that room's clean. Okay. Make sure um, dust isn't ruining the paintings or anything. Yeah. No, that's, 
that's that's reasonable. Um, after your confrontation with your sister, how are how are you feeling? Like, what are you doing on this still like early Saturday morning? Uh, probably still running around the house looking what needs to be kept. Yeah. Um, have you noticed that JC is like kind of lurking about or or has JC since uh, gone on to another part of the house? I guess I should ask too. Uh yeah, if JC is still in the family room once uh post fight, <laughs> then Gail is upset that he is in there. <laughs> Um, she walks in to, you know, do, do a scope to, to make sure nothing's fallen over and no, like, funny business is happening in there and she sees JC in there. What are you doing in here? It's a room in the house. Am I not allowed in here anymore? No, but why are you in here? Uh, I, I come in to think sometimes. Look at all of our dead relatives and, uh, think about that. Think about what? How they've all failed? I mean, if if death is considered failure around here, then yeah, sure. You shouldn't be worrying about any of this stuff. Uh, he'll like point to the uh, unmarked mirror. Who's who's that for? I don't know. Isn't there a name on it? No. Uh, Gail, that's just been there. You probably haven't thought about it too too much. There are some things here that are just like they're just unmarked. Not everything needs a name, JC. Sometimes it's better just not even to mark things. Well, that's kind of dour, but all right. I'll get out your way, and you can also look at all of our failures of our relatives, I guess. I'm not here to look at them. I'm here to clean the room. All right. Do you you have any plans today? Uh, potentially. I'm, I'm working some things out. Maybe I'll go into town, pick some stuff up that I need. Okay, uh, make sure to ask Alistair if he needs anything, if you're going into town. And, yeah, sure, um, I'll just get a bunch of, uh, paper and more tea bags. You know what I mean. Yeah. And, um, if there's anything I can help you with today, just, uh, let me know, okay? Sure thing. I will absolutely do that. Okay, I'll be waiting on your call. And he turns and walks out. <laughs> Now some mother and son love just to just to warm the heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Gail, you continue cleaning this room, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah, just um, making sure nothing's getting too dingy. Yeah, no, everything looks good. You've done a good job of maintaining it. Um, you see your father's statue there, of course, uh, missing one finger, and uh, he looks down on you with a stony expression that, you know, growing up, you were never entirely sure how to read. Yeah. <laughs> Don't I know it? <laughs> okay. Let's uh, let's see what Virgil's up to. Virgil, what are you doing? So I think Virgil is, uh, is as he often does, kind of loses time in working on his uh, experiments and research and the like. Although I did have um, a proposition. Uh, and and um, Dan, what are the chances that uh, JC visits Virgil in his workshop? That's actually what exactly he was going to do. <laughs> okay. JC, what are you doing? Where are you going? He's gonna he's gonna head up to uh, Virgil's lab as as he probably knows it as and just 
Uh, if there's like a lot of noise, wait until it gets quiet before <laughs> just politely knocking on the door. Yeah, Virgil, I'll let you decide what uh, JC hears, what you're up to. Um, yeah, you probably hear some like arcing electricity and that sort of thing, but it it, it does stop um after only a few moments. You get the impression that this has isn't an ongoing noise; it's just something that happened to been going off when you were when you approached. Um, so yeah, you knock and and you hear, um, come in. Uh, yeah, sure, and he'll just walk in. Ah, JC, my lad. Um. Uh, forgive me, I didn't even realize you were still in the house. Don't you have school? It's Saturday. Is it really? Um, uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm sorry, my days are blurring together. Uh, you, you see, I don't leave the house much anymore, and, you know, what difference does Tuesday to Saturday to Thursday make anymore? It's, it's all a blur. Yeah, that makes sense, totally. So figured I would uh, come here uh, and talk to you a little bit about family stuff because well you're the only one here who does that certainly have a seat have a seat um uh yes i no i understand uh it appears that the rest of the the household as you were are rather reluctant on our family past but um Tell me what's on your mind. Uh, so hypothetically speaking, if I were to have had a dream where I saw Elias turn into a tree, is that good or bad? You dreamt of your great, great, great grandfather Elias. I think I was him in the dream. I'm not actually sure. As a lore note, a lot of people are named Elias, but saying oh. that he turned into a tree. Um, you can down. figure you can figure it out, but yeah, right. a lot of the names in the in uh, the Rookwood family are repeated because they well, they picked I, the best ones, so they're yeah. just going to keep using them. There's only like eight good names, period. You yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, and I and I think also having had that same dream that night, I think Virgil would immediately recognize what he's talking about. Right, exactly. Um, just just would, a lore note. Would yeah, would Virgil know that like these sort of like shared dream things has been kind of like a normal occurrence within like the cursed history of the family or um, as like a possibility of uh, a side effect of the curse or something like that. Um, would he have any knowledge of such thing? Um, There are a lot of things that could cause shared dreaming. It could, uh, you may have heard Alistair, for instance, talk about uh, some sort of like genetic memory. Um, You know, it could be something supernatural causing like a shared conscious event. Um, But there's there's a couple things that could be you're not sure what exactly it is. Uh, It could have been that you both just had a weird dinner and happened to dream of the same event that you both know very Uh well. Um, I don't think Virgil would dismiss it in, in that way, but, uh, but yeah, so Virgil's going to say, um, so you dreamt of, um, our family's great ancestor, Elias Rookwood, did you last night? Yeah. This is very curious because I too dreamt of Elias and specifically the, the moment in which he succumbed to his curse. Huh. All right. Yes, it is strange. I... Worried that perhaps dreaming of such things could be an omen of some sort. It's hard to tell with these things. The curse, the rules of the curse, if you will, seem to be flexible and can manifest in a variety of ways. And over the years, we've never quite figured out exactly how these things work. 
but the fact that you've had a similar dream does not dissuade my concerns. He says, like, with a smile, like, he says he's concerned, but he's also, like, chuckling to himself. Um, it's kind of this weird juxtaposition. <laughs> so we got, like, what, 50-50, good or bad? It's hard to say. Perhaps you seem troubled by it. Oh, uh, well, not particularly. I I spent some time in the uh, in the family room today uh, coming to terms with the fact that, hey, I mean, we're all going to die, uh, and we'll just end up either A, another uh, painting or jar on a wall, or maybe you'll get turned into, like, I don't know, the top of a lampshade. <laughs> I'll put you on, like, a nice, a nice lamp. Um... Yes, uh, truth be told, I don't know what I'll become, because, you see, my particular manifestation of the curse is quite new. Um, as best to my knowledge, um, it hasn't been experienced before. Um, but this concern of yours, does, do you bring it up because you, you're experiencing strange manifestations of your own? Is there anything you would like to talk to me about? It's natural for at your age to go through certain <laughs> changes, and I just want you to know that you can talk to me about anything. Yeah, and and I know that. Uh, I don't think there's been any changes that I can really think of in the past bit, but uh, just just got to thinking. It's not every day you dream you're a tree, and then you get to watch your family sort of turn you into a house though if i wanted to get into like the film business that could make a nice movie or something <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it would my boy um let me uh just say this our family the curses that we hold are meant for us to be you us finally being claimed by the curse in the end is a sign that we did not waste these gifts. They should not be feared. Well, I mean, I can understand that to a degree, though. Uh, if or even when it shows up for me. Realistically, I probably should wait to use it, because if I get too excited with the whole prospect of I don't know, becoming a tree. Uh, I think everything ends with me. Unless I start pushing out kids. <laughs> well, you still have a lot of time in front of you, I'm sure. I've made it this far. Uh, and he says, kind of like tapping his forehead, and when he does that, there's like a visible like, little spark of electricity. It's about balance. Use your gifts when you can. When they are useful. But if you use them frivolously, they will consume you all the faster. All right. I'll 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 keep that in mind, I suppose, if I start producing electricity or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, thanks. Figured if there was anyone to talk to about this stream, it would be you. Yes, I am always happy to help when I can. Oh, JC, I, if, before you leave, I, I just have a quick question. I couldn't help but to notice you've, you've favored, you, you started favoring your left hand. Is there 
any particular reason for that. He says kind of like eyeing you very intently. Huh. You're, uh, you're really hoping I got a curse, don't you? I, hope is a, an interesting word. I'm, I'm merely being observant. I, I wouldn't disregard it as a sign. I would just say that if you think it is, don't tell Gale. And he'll, like, wink at him at that. (laughs) (laughs) Understood. Say no more, my boy. Yeah. All right, Uncle Verge. I'll let you get back to whatever sort of science and whatnot you're doing up here with whatever that is. (laughs) It's a Faraday cage. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep, that sounds like science. (laughs) All right. See you around. <laughs> Have a good day. So JC leaves and goes off to another part of the house to do something. Um, Virgil, it's been you know, uh, you're you're a you're a young man. You're maybe like ten years old. So mm-hmm. you're like, mm-hmm. I need some fresh air. So you go out with your siblings, uh, your sisters, Lucy and Cynthia, and also your brother, and you're going to go play on the sand a little bit and uh, maybe look across the sound. Um, mm-hmm. What do you do? Um, first thing I do is, like, while, while my siblings are kind of running around um, and maybe you know, starting to play in the sand and look for seashells and, and the like. Um, Virgil's going to immediately scamper down to the the uh, the water line and stare out across the sound and not really say anything to the others, kind of putting up his head, to, uh, his hands uh, over his eyes to kind of like shield the sun from the glare a little bit and, and just look out across the sound. And what are you looking for? I am looking for uh, Tesla's Tower, uh, which I've become infatuated with over the last few years. That can only really be seen across the sound on the clearest of days. Mm-hmm. Um, this two hundred, almost 200-foot-tall radio tower that was built by Tesla um, about 10 years ago that has now since been abandoned. Uh, uh, just obsessed um, with this, stru- this massive structure. Um, right. across the sound on Long Island. Yeah, you just feel a connection to this. You aren't mm-hmm. exactly sure what it is, but you just mm-hmm. you feel drawn to it. It's really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, so your brothers and sisters are playing, and uh, your brother comes up to you, and he's, he's trying to look to He's like, what are you looking at? I'm looking for the tower. The tower? What, what, what tower? It's It's... It's the tower. Um, you, you might not be able to see it. It's it's only you can only see it on clear days. It's a, a radio tower. It's a big metal tower. Like this guy built it. Okay, Virgil. Um, remind me again. Is your brother older or younger than you? He's younger than me by a few years. Okay. Yeah, so uh, he's a couple years younger than you. He's still, like, a kid versus you're, like, almost uh Well, I guess he would be a I'm tween. basically an adult. 
you're, <laughs> yeah, you're the oldest of these siblings, uh, named mm-hmm. after. Uh, actually, you know, you were named after Elias's oldest son. He was also mm-hmm. named Virgil, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you're kind of the keeper of these kids, but you're you're distracted, mm-hmm. you know, from maybe your mom told you mm-hmm. to make sure you watch them as you went down to the beach mm-hmm. because you just want to see the Warrencliffe Tower, this amazing Tesla Tower. Yeah. Um, and as your brother starts to walk away, um, you see his like red hair kind of like go off and he looks at you and you look at him and it's like his face starts melting like wax and it starts to rearrange the features until his face is totally featureless. It looks like someone has pulled a mask of skin over his face. And it's 1972, and you're on the beach. What are you doing on the beach, Virgil? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Virgil uh, is is going to stand there, um, kind of limbs uh, dang- dangling kind of limply to his side. Uh, kind of looking around, kind of his mouth agape in that same expression that he would have had as a 10-year-old Virgil, staring at nothing now. Yeah, there's probably, like, he... families around enjoying their day. Uh, <laughs> you, just, you just wandered onto this beach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uncle Virgil, no! Oh, Virgil, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> and this is, uh, to clarify, this is not terribly far from your house. Uh, no. <laughs> No. Uh, yeah, he's going to like kind of look around, uh, kind of taking in his surroundings and look out across the sound um, almost instinctively. Um, maybe maybe like a, a kind of residual feeling uh, of the the flashback or vision that he just had, um, even though that tower is, has not been standing for almost 60 years, uh, going almost, you know, 50, 60 years now. Um, yeah. And it's not that clear of the day, but you know, Uh-oh. sometimes when you squint, you still kind of feel like you can see it. You can still kind of feel that after image of something that was so mm-hmm. important to you. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're on the beach. Mm-hmm. And he just thinks of that's a far way to row, <laughs> <laughs> and and turns and uh, starts trudging his way back up to the manor. Okay. Ignoring <laughs> any odd looks that he receives. Yeah. <laughs> This is this is fine. <laughs> Hello listeners, I am your chronicler and host Fiona LF Kelly. I hope that you're enjoying our first episode and I hope that you will enjoy all of our episodes. It has been an absolute joy to be able to run this game and I hope that all of you are having as much fun as I had. On a personal note, even though I've been playing tabletop games for about a decade, this is the very first time I've gone behind the screen as the GM. It is terrifying and exciting to have the first game I've ever run to be recorded as a podcast, but I'm pretty happy with the end result. And that, of course, could not be done without my absolutely stellar cast and our producer, Tom. If you want to know more about our player characters and who we are, you can listen to episode zero and check out our introductory posts on projectderail.com. Be sure to follow us on social media to get all the latest episodes and information. You can find us on Facebook by searching Fables Around the Table or at Table Fables Podcast. We are on Instagram as at Table Fables Podcast and Twitter as at Table Fables Pod. If you search some combination of table and fables, I'm sure that you'll find us. We will have a special guest at the end of our episode. Tales of the Voidfarer listeners will recognize our very own Luckbeak Humboldt. Saker will be joining us as one of our Rookwood NPCs. 
In addition to Tales of the Voidfarer, you can listen to Saker on It's All Been Done, a Bare Naked Ladies podcast, at Been Done Pod on Twitter, or as one half of the Nerdcore rap group 2D6. And of course, our cast has done a ton of projects that you should check out. Nick, who plays Virgil, Tom, and I are all a part of Project Derailed. You can find lots of nerdy goodness on projectderailed.com. And for Project Derailed, he also runs the Spelljammer-inspired actual play podcast, Tales of the Voidfair, where I am a player instead of the GM. You can find Annie, Fable's own Penny Rookwood, on Instagram at Two Bookish Babes, which is soon to be a young adult literature podcast. Chelsea, our very own Gail Rookwood, runs an Etsy shop with another dear friend of ours, Alex. You can buy their gaming-inspired candles uh, from Plot Kindling Candles, and you can find them at etsy.com shop slash plot kindling candles, or follow them on social media at Candles Plot. Garrett, our Alistair LaVale, our only non-Rookwood, is part of the band Northern Weather. You can find them at northernweather.bandcamp.com or on Facebook as northernweather-oh. And finally, my producer Tom and I are part of the Project Derailed podcast, Big Streaming Pile. It's a podcast where we talk about bad movies on streaming services. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Facebook under Big Streaming Pile Podcast or Twitter at Big Stream Pile. And of course, thank you to Tom for not only composing and recording our theme song, but for also helping me write this game. And finally, thank you to Nerdy Pup Games, Brian Bin, and Michael Addison for allowing us to run The Curse of the House of Rookwood for the first season of our podcast. They are the creative minds behind Rookwood, and without them, we wouldn't be able to bring this amazing game to you. You can find them at nerdypupgames.com and on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Nerdy Pup Games. All right, I think I've gone on long enough. Let's get back to the game. Um, so back at the house, what is everyone up to? Uh, we've, Alistair, you've gotten your uh, various cups of tea from Gail. You've, you've, you're getting good, good research in. Yes, um, I imagine I would take a break at some point, uh, come up for a meal, and to uh, do a bit more observation. Okay. Uh, who are you observing? Um, right now, I would say if I can find uh, Jeremy, I would go uh, observe him a bit. And if not, then uh, perhaps I will sit with Penelope. Okay. Not your wife? I've observed plenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Thank he loved you. me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I will. I will let you guys decide who you find first. Jeremy would be in the kitchen at this point. Yeah. Then it it, it would definitely be him. Um, okay. So I'll walk in and. Um, good day, Jeremy. Uh, how are you this lovely afternoon? Ah, uh, not not bad. Just got done talking with my my uncle, whom you are such good friends with. Yes. Uh. I'm sure he had some rather wonderful things to say to you. Uh, what what crazy idea has he tried to implant today? Something about a Faraday cage. I have no idea what that is. I just, I normally, when I don't understand the terms, I just nod. Hope for the best. I am waiting for the day when the power in this house goes out for good. It's possible. Oh, I think it's quite more than possible. Have you spoken to your mother today? I did. I had a riveting conversation with her. Uh, about uh, how our family members are failures, and they're all dead. 
Well, uh, death is a rather inevitable part of life, you know. Um, I, I don't suppose anyone in your family thinks they can live forever. No, not to my knowledge, anyway. I mean, they say you live forever provided people remember you, but it doesn't do much when, you know, you're in the ground. Rather morbid thought, I suppose. Uh, what stance did your mother take on this? That was her stance, that they're failures for some reason. I don't oh, really oh, see I things see. that way. But well, that is good. That is a that is a rather positive uh, thing to hear come from you. I try every now and again. Alistair gives you a bit of a, uh, a like a wry smile. Well, I hope you keep it up. I don't make promises, but uh, I'll I'll do it for you, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Al Alistair um, narrows his eyes at being called that and says, "Very good, then." JC. Well, do you have is there anything you're planning on doing today? Oh, well, I was going to maybe go out in town for a little bit, grab some things I need. I got told to ask you if you needed anything. Oh, that that would be that would be splendid. Um I could uh rather use some more ribbon for my typewriter if that would be all right with you. Uh here I I'll give you uh some cash. Sure. Thank you very kindly. Um, Jeremy, you blink for a second, and for just a moment, Alistair turns into Timothy, your mom's last beau, her her last boyfriend, uh, the one that you probably knew the best before Alistair, uh, but just like that, he's back, and it's just a kind of weird moment. Hmm. Um, d does Jeremy get, or does JC get any sort of, uh, look on his face as this happens? Yeah, it's it's probably like a fairly visible double take and then like a rubbing of his eyes real quick just to like make sure it's not going to happen again. Are you quite all right? Yeah. Uh there's probably just a gas leak in the house. You should say there's a gas leak. Yeah. yeah probably. <laughs> that. Well, with what your uncle could be up to upstairs, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. That would be a fun horror game. It was it was carbon monoxide the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna go before I have any more visual hallucinations because of the gas leak. See ya. Oh, uh, very well. Good day then. Um. Yeah. And Jeremy uh, walks out, and as he's turning the corner, he almost sees someone out of the corner of his eye someone that he can't quite make out hmm, all right it's just a typical saturday at the rookwood house you know um <laughs> <laughs> like you do <laughs> yeah yeah like you do um okay so it's getting a little bit later in the afternoon um at this point almost to uh evening does anyone do anything together do you guys like eat meals together uh probably probably, probably. dinner <laughs> okay, i would I, I would dinner. imagine so so it's now later in the evening on this Saturday, and it is dinner time. Um, who generally cooks in this family? I, I'm kind of assuming Gail, but I guess it could be someone else. Gail. Yeah, it's probably primarily Gail. She'll she'd probably let Penny attempt to help, but the moment there's something not going the way Gail would want it to go, she is quickly uh, shooed out of the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, that kind of like just <laughs> let me do it because you know how to do it right. I'm so sorry for not chopping the vegetables, right? Well, you chop them too big. Nobody's going to be able to swallow them like that. Use a knife. That's why you cut them before. <laughs> is, is Gail a good cook? 
Gail is so Gail in in school before you know our parents died and everything was at the top of her classes in her home economics. So she was known <laughs> that to be uh, when she became of age that she was going to be a, a, a pristine housemaker. <laughs> okay. Um, but since developing her curse, I imagine that the quality of stuff has slowly declined um, for a quantity increase. Okay. All right. Um, but she's still like following the recipes pretty much to yes. a tea, I would imagine. So it's not like an overseason, underseason. It's just right. like bizarre proportions. Okay. Right. But it. maybe where before we would have done something like a little more intense, like cook wise, that yields a kind of smaller thing. We're now making like giant chickens all of the time and like right. very large amounts of stew and things like that. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. I dig that. Uh, does Gail serve on kind of like, the 70s like floral you know like uh dishes or does she serve on like fine china oh well we we obviously serve on whatever our our whatever dishware our parents used (laughs) gotcha okay so that would be let's see that would be like in the 50s they'd probably serve on something well there's something like moderately nice that's just like for family. You have like the really nice like you know, uh, china cabinet stuff for like guests and things. I'm right. Sure. So okay. So just like guests and holidays. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if, but if the table using... is like set perfectly, and all right. of the silverware is out, and it is very like a a proper dining table. <laughs> right. Um. If uh. If 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 it's the same set that your parents use, I would imagine over the years. Uh, you know, things have gone missing here and there, things have gotten broken, but you've done, you know, a very good job of, like, making everything still seem at least like a perfect set, whether that's, uh, right. you have adjusted the other things accordingly or found the same thing. But, right, yeah. and Gail is definitely someone who polishes the silverware, every, like, twice every month to make sure everything is just perfect right. looking. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful spread. It's, like, something out of, like, a magazine. Um, and everyone sits down to the table i would imagine virgil is several minutes late several minutes late gotta get all the sand out of his shoes <laughs> well i would imagine this is un- for later enough that he went back up to his workshop and then right as right. per usual oh. you know he'll come down to dinner whenever he's done working with whatever's exactly. in front of him yeah you know he's got to get to a save point Right. Much to the dismay of everyone else, Gail does not mm-hmm. allow anyone to eat until he gets down there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Sometimes the food is getting cold, yeah. But yeah, he'll he'll eventually kind of stumble down. Um he has like goggles on his forehead and uh is like some, some grease on his on his face. Nice of you to join us, Uncle Virgil. Well I didn't say you had to wait for me. You know how she always is. It's proper manners to wait for everyone to sit down at the table. Well, I'm here. Alistair glares at you. <laughs> Virgil does not notice. <laughs> does Virgil sit at the head? Probably. Does Virgil sit Probably. at the head of the table? Probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, what is everyone's order around the table, actually? I imagine it's a standard, like, long dining table. Um, there's probably many empty seats because uh, at different times the family was much larger. But now that it's just down to uh, the four Rookwoods and Alistair, they're not all filled. I'd imagine it's at least, like, an eight to ten person dining table. 
Right. I imagine at it's we're all at one end because we're family and we sit close together because we like each other. Okay, um. so it's yeah, so it's Virgil at the top, no one at it's, the other end. Um, right, who's sitting next to each other on either side. It's probably Gail and Alistair on one side, and then Penny and JC on the other. That's how I was imagining in my head too. Yeah, that, yeah, that me sounds too. that sounds right. Well, because we definitely don't want Penny and Gail next to each other. Yeah, right, <laughs> and it's probably uh, Gail and Penny next to Verge. So, Pale and Getty, yeah. or fuck, uh, Gail and Penny Pale. are, <laughs> <laughs> I'm only on my third beer, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> Gail and Penny Virgil, are across from each other so they can just, like, stare daggers at each other the entire dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, has it always been like that, or did they switch when um, JC started eating with his other hand? Mm. Oh, I guess that does make sense that way. Mm. Um... I if Jeremy imagined... would like to sit next to me, that would be fine then. I'm good. Yeah, I I guess that would be the way it always has been, unless um, because I don't think would JC wanted to make a big deal about that. No, probably not. Like, yeah, if he's next to Penny, they shouldn't be bumping elbows or anything like that. So, all right, okay. Um, so you all sat down. Gail has made a delicious meal, if a very uh, large meal. And you dig in and start to eat. What What did you make, Gail? <laughs> oh, geez. What do people in the 70s eat? <laughs> <laughs> Roast, meatloaf, chicken. Oh, are we are we too far north to have, um, like, clam chowder? Like, Manhattan ma- clam chowder? Mm. You are, like, on like the shore. It's Connecticut, yeah. Yeah, you are on the shore, so you can have, like, seafood. We are literally across the sound from New York. Right. I... Right. It's probably a, a big vat of that. It's it's that, and then freshly baked rolls um, that have like the the fancy little cuts on top to make them a little mm. more um, artisan than just regular rolls, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and aside from just the soup, there's probably also like steamed green beans and. Like very like crunchy vegetables, something like that. Mm. That sounds pretty good. Alistair eats rather greedily. <laughs> Virgil Virgil kind of tucks in without uh like you know too many words, but after a few moments, he just goes. The chowder could use more salt. Are we a family that like <laughs> says grace or anything beforehand or? No. No. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, but but JC would know that Gail watches him like a hawk to watch his table manners. <laughs> yeah. And the moment he does a single thing wrong, it's that elbow. As soon as the elbow hits the table, you right? Know. <laughs> the elbow holding your your utensils wrong, using the wrong utensils. He's probably got actually pretty impeccable uh, manners now, after yeah. seventeen years of that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he knows which fork to use. He knows everything. Poor he just hates every second of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, all right, let's let's see if I've got all this down, or if she finds something else to to call me out on. <laughs> yep. Yep. Every, every dinner is a game. <laughs> That's what makes it exciting. 
Um, so when Gail hears Virgil say that uh, it needs more salts, what what is her reaction? Right. Um, she eyes the salt that's probably sitting on the table, and she she um kind of coughs to clear her throat and says, "Well, it's on the table. Add it as you like." Penny just pointedly reaches over. Well, a farther reach than necessary to get the salt and put it in front of Virgil. Gail <laughs> shoots daggers at Penny reaching across the table. <laughs> I thought everything tasted wonderful, love. Very good job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, of course, the salt on the table. But what is the point if I have to add it myself? Shouldn't the chowder be salted to acceptable levels before it even gets to the table i'm just just well goodness virgil i'm surprised you haven't come up with a device for that yet (laughs) uncle virgil not all of our teams are as burnt out as yours (laughs) (laughs) uh virgil's gonna ignore gail's comment and say (laughs) Don't be absurd, Alistair. I work in circuitry and electronic engineering. Yes, yes, yes. I I have heard this so many times. Again, where is your device for the salt? It's right in front of him. It's called a salt shaker. Thank you, Penelope. Quite observant. (laughs) This is is good soup. Thank you, (laughs) JC. I'm glad you like it so much. Oh my god, JC gave Gail a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Pee her pants in excitement. (laughs) My son loves me. (laughs) All right, wrap up. We're done here. (laughs) Campaign over. Uh, Virgil isn't going to say anything else. He's just going to quietly eat his soup, um, which is funny because he's he's complained about it, but he hasn't stopped or slowed down in eating it in any any regard. Okay. Um, does anyone else have anything that they want to talk to uh, the family as a whole about during dinner, or uh, you know, one of the characters with everyone else as the audience? Uh, what would you guys like to do? Because we can just sort of like put the kibosh in it and move on if everyone feels like the soup argument is good. <laughs> uh, Gail has one more thing she'd like to ask. Okay, sure. okay, go ahead, Gail. Uh, Uncle Virgil, speaking of your work, uh, where did it take you today? I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean. When I went to check on you earlier, you were not in your workshop. Oh, um, I just simply needed a bit of fresh air, is all, as happens from time to time. It can get rather stuffy in my laboratory. Um, You You like it stuffy in there. Every time I try to open a window, you shoo me out of your workshop. That is true, but that doesn't mean I don't desire fresh air from time to time. Fresh air on a crowded Sunday, on on a, what day is it today? Saturday? Saturday. Saturday. JC has informed me that it is Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you know, because I certainly don't. (laughs) You need fresh air on a crowded Saturday afternoon when most people are out and about? 
The atmosphere is vast. I doubt a couple dozen beachgoers are going to, um, use all of it up before me. Fresh air is fresh air, my dear. It you is went plentiful all the way outside. down to the beach? One fancies a walk on the beach from time to time. I really don't know where this accusatory tone is coming from. And what is everyone going to think when they see you fully dressed walking on the beach? Gail, he's I a believe most man. people are clothed beach. on the beach. Not like it you. This isn't a nudist beach. This isn't Europe. <laughs> well, of course not, <laughs> Uncle Virgil. <laughs> Alistair gives you a death glare with that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to say... You know, Gale, um, wandering is quite an early sign of dementia. Uh, perhaps it is time to consider the convalescent home, as we've discussed. <laughs> Wait, that's a what I'm worried he's a, about. He's Virgil. Uncle Virgil's a grown man. If he wants to take a walk on the beach, he can take a walk on the beach. I would very much request that you don't talk about me as if I were not here. And as for you, Alistair, you may think you are all smart because you have a piece of paper declaring you so. I do not think I have three that of them, gives as a you of fact. the right to decide that I am losing my sanity. It's not like he to didn't tell anybody he was going down to the beach. He told me. He told you? Well, yeah, I went to speak with him and he asked me if I was doing anything today and wanted to go down to the beach and I, I didn't. I had things to go do in town. I bought a lava lamp. Why didn't you tell anyone he was leaving? He's a he's a grown man. I shouldn't really have to tell people he's leaving. Thank you, JC. I don't believe it is any of your business exactly when and where I am. If it is your business, rest assured, I would tell you. No, Uncle Virgil, but you know what is my business having to deal with everyone talking about you about town i don't see why that is your or anyone's problem one of us has to try and make our name good again i don't see any problem with our name as it stands oh no the the creepy old eccentric old man that lives in our manor that's something that's I easy to talk over i am doing important research on the nature of electricity, radio waves, and the like. And how many papers have you had your name on? It zero. doesn't matter. I am keeping zero. my... Alistair, we are having a conversation amongst the family. Um, he is here, the family. Excuse me, and I'm married into this family, now didn't I? Yeah, I don't really know why you are discussing with Gail whether or not Virgil should be going to a home. I think I should be part of that conversation. I do not need to go anywhere, rest assured. I have all of my faculties about me. Obviously, you were just going for a walk. JC knew about it, so I don't know why Gail's still upset about it. And really, the most important question is... JC, what color lava lamp did you get? <laughs> I thought my room could use some blue. Penny, don't Good change choice. the subject. <laughs> well, I think it is time that I at least went somewhere, and Alistair's going to set his napkin down. Gail, thank you for a lovely meal, but I'm going to retire for the night. Oh, then of stop course, off dear. To my office. <laughs> I, uh, right. I dropped off the ribbon or whatever it was you asked for. 
Just in front of the Thank door. Thank you, Jeremy. Don't, like, trip on it or anything. Don't <laughs> So, um, the rest of the family eats their meal. Alistair, you go up to your office, and when you walk into your office, there's a man sitting in there waiting for you. He appears to be in his 30s. His long brown hair is tied into a ponytail, not unlike the hippies you would see around the town. However, his clothes show that he is definitely not a hippie. Though his clothes are dirty, they appear to be very formal. And you're struck by the fact that he is sitting in your office in full colonial dress. And he says, Are you the good doctor I've heard so much about? Have you time for a visit? Excuse me, uh, who are you? My apologies. Good morrow. I'm Elias Abbott of Rookwood. Rookwood, you say? And, um, Alistair starts to get a very perplexed look on his face and is very confused. Rookwood as in the Rookwood estate that we're standing in right now? Um, as you are talking to him, it's weird. It's, you thought at first that he was looking at you, but now it appears that he's looking past you and he continues mm. to talk. You see, Doctor, I've been facing this particular problem. I'm only 32. There was a branch, you see, tangled in my hair. My oldest daughter, Penelope, freed it from my hair, but by the feeling, it it would have felt that she, she tore that hair from my very head. Penelope, you say? Uh, she is downstairs. Let me go get... Daughter? What? What? He continues talking. And there's something else... There's something, something green growing under my nails. Uh, I've scrubbed and scrubbed to no avail. Could it be some sort of fungus? Um, I, I'm quite sorry. I'm not that sort of doctor. Um, you, you'd be best served going into town to find uh, a medical doctor. Uh, I, I deal with matters of, of the brain. My feet as well, doctor. They appear to be arthritic. Every step I take is as though the, the devil is trying to... Pull me down to hell. Uh, excuse me, are you hearing me? Uh, you realize that all of a sudden you're not in your office. You're out in the woods. There are trees surrounding you. You see a man with great branches sprouting out of his head as if they were a deer's antlers. It takes you a moment to recognize him as the man who was in your uh, in your office just moments before. He's marching towards you looking furious, but his movements are very stiff. You move out of the way, and you see that he's heading towards a group of three women, one of whom is holding a broomstick. You feel very uneasy about these women. What in the devil is going on? Let either of you breathe a word, or the edge of a word, about the other things, and I will come to you in the black of some terrible night, and I will bring a pointy reckoning that will shudder you, and you know I can do it. I have seen some reddish work done at night, and I can make you wish you had never seen the sun go down. And a branch swoops down from a nearby tree and slams into one of the women, sending her flying backwards. You have never seen a tree move like that before. And even though you're a doctor of psychology, you know enough about biology to know that that woman has likely died. What? What is this? Drugged. I, I was drugged. The two women start to laugh. The one with the broomstick mounts it and pulls the other on. They fly into the sky. Hovering above you, they suddenly shoot a colored light down at the man. You hear a groan of pain from him. He uses the branches of the trees to swipe at them. They continue like this, clearly in some sort of supernatural battle. 
The women send spells at him, and he uses the trees against them. Eventually, he wins, knocking them from their brooms in the sky and sending them hurling down towards the ground. Before they hit, the scene shifts again. There's a woman holding the hand of a statue that bears a small resemblance to the man you saw before. Through slightly parted lips, the statue begins to speak. Gail, the hour draws nearer. The earth whispers to me its secrets. Our children mutate away from humanity each moment. I cannot continue, Gale. We have become what we sought to destroy. The woman breaks down crying. And as quickly as all of that happened, you're back in your office. The man is smiling at you from across the desk. He's now clearly <sighs> looking at you and not past you. What apparition? What? What have I been given? You know not what you have found, Alistair. What you seek to expose will expose you. The House of Rookwood will never fall. It will only consume. Write your books and, and cure your sickness. If you survive it, it'll be well earned. And he vanishes. Alistair is very much like in a cold sweat and a panic. I imagine he rushes to a bookshelf and uh, tries to find some book about like drug effects and is trying to figure out what was exactly in that clam chowder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it apparently wasn't salt. <laughs> apparently not, Gail. <laughs> Yeah, um, you you go and look through your book, your books. Um, you you know, as a doctor, that um, LSD is becoming increasingly common among the youths. Jeremy, uh, he, um, I quickly um, I go to grab my dictation device, and I um, I press record in, in a very like gaspy voice. Something has happened. I think I've been drugged. And I don't know who did it. I don't know if it was Jeremy trying to experiment with something, if it was Virgil trying to get back at me. But I saw a man as a tree and witches on a broomstick. None of this makes any sense. I need to, I need to go into town. I need to be seen by a doctor. I need, oh, I think I need to lie down first. <laughs> and uh, he lies down as he thinks of all these things that have just happened, this great supernatural event. Um, as night falls over New Haven, Connecticut, I think we'll end the session there. Introducing Tales of the Voidfarer. Join the spacefaring adventures of a group of misfits in this D&D 5th edition podcast inspired by the 2nd edition setting, Spelljammer. My name's Marco Astorio. My character is a Gith Yankee. My character is a Doar. Adorable little penguin people. You're Ravnus, right? Yes, I, 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 and you are. I, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Luckby Cumble. My name is Captain Valeria Rain, and welcome aboard the Voidfarer. 
Luckbeak, Ravnus, come on! <laughs> There's so much to see over here! Catch new episodes of Tales of the Voidfarer every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast fix. <laughs> that's funny. Wait, did you just hmm? say that's funny and not laugh, Ravnus? We really have to work on your social skills. <laughs> projectderailed.com